Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week, we are beginning a new series entitled Plastic Surgery, where we will be talking about and discussing biblical principles regarding our finances. Getting us kickstarted in our new series is our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jared. I'm the, one of the pastors here, and we are talking about everybody's favorite subject, money, right? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, thank you that we can sing your praises here in this place, that we can come and celebrate what you've done for us. You love us, you died for us, and that you give us direction in life, especially as it comes to money and finances. Lord, many of us are struggling with it right now. It's on our minds. It's something we're going to have to go and earn today or tomorrow. Some of us are fighting over it. Some of us are worried about it. Some of us are making decisions regarding it. But Lord, you speak to us in your word about how to utilize it. So Lord, I pray that you speak to us now. That my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, and that you impress upon us the message you want us to hear. And we aren't just hearers of the word, but we'll be doers of it as well. We give you all the praise and glory. We ask all this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Well, we are starting a new series uh, called Plastic Surgery, giving your finances a facelift. If you see here that, that credit card there getting cut up, that's Brad Labakins, our worship pastor's credit card. So uh, we thought we'd put it up there. Pin is 471. You want to write that down. It's maxed out, though. I already tried. Um, the idea here is talking about how we can not only get rid of the plastic, that debt in our life, but also how we can be utilize our money and finances better. You know, I know, come to a church, people will say, oh, I can't believe you're talking about finances. In fact, I had somebody say that to me just uh, about a week ago. He said, we're starting a new series on finances and money. And they said, I can't believe you're going to talk about money and finances in a church. To which I say, why wouldn't we talk about money and finances in a church? Did you know that there are over 2,000 verses in regards to money and finances? 2,000. Do you know, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where it talks about Christ's life, one out of every six verses, one out of every six talks about money or uh, finances. Of the 29 parables that Christ told, a lot of parables in the, this, the Gospels that we've kind of gone through here, out of 29 of them, over half, 16 of them, 16 of them talk about money or a person with their money. Money is talked about in the Bible more than anything else. Why? Because money, there's a lot of issues surrounding money, isn't there? A lot of issues surrounding how we deal with our money. Some of you couples are fighting about money. In fact, a couple was having a severe financial difference and arguing about money. Finally, the husband exploded and said, if, you weren't, if it weren't for my money, the house wouldn't be here at all. Yes, said the wife. If it weren't for your money, I wouldn't be here at all. All right? <laughs> Some of you are fighting about money right now. You know, we talk about money every year. And uh, about six months ago, I, kn- I knew this was coming up. I knew that we were going to be talking about money right around this time. And one of the things that I was thinking this year is every year we talk about money, why we give, how we give, the treasure of money, um, all the different stuff about the joy of giving. One of the things I was hit with over the past few years is I would have people that I would talk to say, listen, Jared, I would love to give money, but I can't give because I'm so much in debt. I have so much other things I got to give money to. 
I, I would love to be a giver that can give joyfully and freely. I'd love to be able to use my money for good things. But yet I have to live paycheck to paycheck and spend every dime for bills and, and debt collectors and all kinds of other stuff. And so my thought was, is, man, maybe we need to help our congregation talk about where our heart is about getting out of debt before we can actually give. And that's where we come with plastic surgery. You see, if you've ever had surgery, you know that there's a process that needs to take place, right? Something needs fixed, something needs changed, something needs altered, right? I remember a few years ago I had to go in for surgery, I had some scar tissue in my head, and I remember having that pre-operation dead exam, right? Where you go in ahead of time, or not dead exam, pre-operation exam, where you go in ahead of time, and the doctor is saying, okay, listen, what's your lifestyle like? Uh, do you drink? Do you smoke? What's your blood like? How do you exercise? All those different kinds of questions. Everybody has a pre-operation exam before surgery. Why? Because they want to make sure that the surgery that they're going to do is going to work, right? So if you go in for a hip replacement or a knee replacement, they want to make sure, hey, listen, you got to exercise. you got to get up and start walking right away. Because in order for this surgery, this transformation to take place, you've got to change your lifestyle. If you've ever gone in for a gastric bypass, which is where they kind of shrink the stomach down, one, one of the things they'll say is, listen, you got to change your lifestyle. you got to change how you eat. you got to change how you exercise. For If you're getting a liver transplant, they'll say, listen, you can't drink anymore. You can't smoke anymore. There's, there's processes that need to happen. And so for order for us to, to give joyfully, in order for us to go through this thing, we got to back up a little bit and have kind of a, a pre-operation exam. And one of the things that we need to talk about before we even talk about giving is our debt. And so today we talk about our pre-operation debt exam. You see, people want to give, but they can't give because they are so wrapped up in debt. America has the largest debt of almost any country. That's probably not a surprise to you. might be a surprise at what it looks like. Here's what the average American debt actually looks like. Credit cards, 16000 Average uh, auto loan, 30000 The average student loan, 50000 In fact, I was talking with a gentleman yesterday at the men's breakfast. Great breakfast yesterday. Encouraging men to be there once a month. We, I was talking to a gentleman and his daughter was going to school, same school that I actually graduated from. And I, I said, uh, just by the way, how much is college nowadays? Um, and he told me the figure, and I thought, that is twice what it was when I went to college. People are coming out with larger school loans than anything else. 50000 Mortgages. Now, we all, all can say that mortgages isn't always debt. That People can say that that's sometimes good debt. But nonetheless, there's debt right there. Mortgage, 182000 That's a lot of debt. Then you want to break it down by age, it's kind of even more surprising. Here it is by age. If you're a Gen Z, that means you're between the age of 18 to 24. The average debt in America, 22000 If you're an older millennial, ages 25 to 34, your average debt is 42,000. I realized this week I was a Gen X. I didn't even know that. Gen X, 35 to 49, 39,000. If you're a baby boomer, age 50 plus, the average debt is 36,000. Now you may be in different scales here, but as we see here, we've got a little bit of a problem. So in order for us to be givers, in order for us to handle our finances well, we've got to get that under control, right? If we're going to have surgery and we're going to get a, a transplant or a, or a facelift or, or some other kind of surgery, we've got to get our lifestyle under control, don't we? That's the idea. And once you get your lifestyle under control, once we start looking at that, then we can say, okay, how do we nip and tuck the spending habits, right? That's what we're going to talk about next week. How do we talk about that? 
that if you're having any kind of plastic surgery, they usually inject something. So the third week, we're going to call it the faith injection, right? How do you, how do you give with faith? And then if you've ever gone for major surgery, you know that they put you under, right? And there's that recovery time. So we call the last week the laughing gas recovery, right? Why? Because we want to do it with joy. We don't want this to be a burden. We don't want this to be a pain. But some of us need to start back up a little bit and say, okay, yes, I understand the Bible talks about money and how we are to use our money, but I got to get this thing under control. And the problem is, is the heart of man. That's where we start. My question for you here today is, where is your heart? Where's your heart at? If you have your, have your Bibles, is Matthew chapter 6, we just read it. What a great passage. This is where we really start. We have to start here. Because the question is, where's your heart? When you look at this, the first two verses of what we just read is, uh, is a, a decision that we make of how we handle our possessions, our wealth. Are we going to store it here? Are we going to store it up in heaven? Then the next two verses are, how do we, uh, where's our vision at? And then the final one is, wh- who's going to be our master? We have to have a single treasure, we have to have a single vision, and we have to have a single master. A single vision, a single treasure, and a single master. Where do we start with a single treasure? If you have your Bibles, look at verse 19. It says this. It says, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there or your heart be also. Where's your heart this morning? Some of you are thinking about the debt that you have. Some of you are not only concerned about the debt that you have. Some of you are so scared and worried because you don't feel like you have enough. Money creates all kinds of issues in life. And one of the things that you have to understand is when they talk about store up, that's a Greek word for like stacking things horizontally. And when we come to a series like this, I know that the tendency is this. And I had thought this when I was younger too. And then when we talk about money, that what they're going to say is that the poorer you are, the better. Right? That poverty is next to godliness. Many churches would say that. Many Christians have a trouble with that. They would say, well, listen, if I have a lot of money, that must, I, I, I feel guilty. I, I shouldn't have a lot of money. There is nowhere in Scripture that, that, that God ever says that we should be, live in poverty. In fact, Jesus time and time again talks to people that have money. In fact, in Mark 10, he talks, about, uh, he talks to a rich young ruler. The idea isn't the fact that he had money. The idea was that the money became the idol for him. In fact, time and time again throughout Scripture, Jesus talks about how God, he's, they're going to bless us, that when we give, God blesses us in abundance, that we can have more than we ever would need. 1 Timothy 6.17 says this, The Lord who, what? Richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Isn't that a great verse? That we don't have to live in this world... As Christians to say, okay, well, if we're poor, then we'll be good, we'll be happy. That's not the idea behind this. The idea is, is are you going to store it here or in heaven? Are you going to say, listen, this becomes our idol, and I want to hold on to it as long as I can? I shared this story before, but there was a man who was really stingy and wanted to keep all his money. And so every time he got paid, he got, took $20 and shoved it under his mattress. He did that for years of his life. Finally, he, uh, he got sick and told his wife, he said, listen, I'm, I'm going to die here. I know it. I said, I, he said, I need you to do one thing for me. And the wife said, sure, what is it? He said, I want, you to, I want you to bury me with all my money. And the wife said, sure, I'd love to do that for you. So the man died, and the wife fulfilled his promise. She put all the money, she took it all out of the mattress, she put it in the bank and wrote a check and left it in his coffin and said, here's your money. Let me know when you use it because I'm going to borrow it until then. All right? <laughs> can't keep it with us. So 
Some people stockpile it because they are not only, it's not about having things, but some of us are concerned that we don't have enough. If you have your Bibles, it's, I'm not going to go into this, but isn't it interesting that in Matthew chapter 6, the very next verse, in verse 25, Jesus talks about what? Worry. He talks about worry right away. Why? Because it's not about only having possessions, but some people are so obsessed with having money, it's not because, it's not because they want to walk around with a, with a great car or something cool. It's they're obsessed because they, they're so afraid that God won't provide for them. And so they stockpile monies. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you drink. Jesus goes right into that. Why? Because he's talking about money, where your treasure is. Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Some of us are stockpiling it. Some of us have issues that we're getting things just because of the way it looks. Someone once said that the trouble is that too many people are spending money they haven't yet earned for things they don't yet need to impress people they don't like. Right? Dave Ramsey goes on to talk about how you, people will have these nice cars and they will, they'll pull up to a stoplight just to impress the people that they'll never see next to them again and then drive off. Drive off right? Where is your heart? But understand, it's not about having not enough or being obsessed with it. It's where is your heart? Don't store it here. Somebody once told me that if you want to look at where people's heart is, you've got to look at their checkbooks or their online bank statements. Proverbs 3 is a wonderful verse. It talks about how we are to use our finances. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. Isn't it great to know that God's going to richly provide for us in time of need, that we can give and comes back? Honor the Lord with your wealth. How do you honor the Lord with your wealth with that single treasure? You've got to have a single vision, too. You've got to have a single vision. Look at verse 22. It says, the eye. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I don't know if any of you have bad eyes. My eyes are the weakest thing on my body. If I don't have my contacts in right now, I wouldn't know if there's anybody in the room, right? It's horrible. But I also know what it looks like to be in darkness. When you can't see, you, your judgment is all off, right? So in the middle of the night, somebody comes into my room without my contacts or glasses. I don't know who it is. I don't know what's going on, right? It's a first order business. Why? Your judgment's all off. In other words, the heart, as it says there, is the eye of the soul which illuminates every spiritual uh, experience which God shines. If your eyes are unhealthy, if you only have a vision for what you don't have or how much you can have, then you have no room for light to enter in. And when our hearts are hardened, when we can't see, that hardens our hearts. The eyes, therefore, are the key. What do you see? What's your focus? Where are you looking? you got to have a single treasure. you got to have a single vision. But you also have to have a single master. If we talk about how we are going to give, you've got to have a single master. There's things that you've got to put in place. This is the key verse of the whole thing, Matthew 6, 24. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one, love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, Mark 10, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over there. Mark 10, Jesus is talking to a rich young ruler. I mentioned this already, but 
this rich young ruler, he's a real wealthy guy, and he basically comes up to Jesus. He says, Jesus, what must I do to be good? What can I do to in, inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, he says, go sell your possessions, give to the poor. He says, go sell your possessions, give to the poor. And the guy, he, he can't do it. The guy could not do it. What's amazing about this is that the guy had every opportunity to have eternal life. He could have simply said, you know what, I'm going to sell it all, I'm going to give to the poor, and that's it. He could have, he could have, but he wouldn't. It's not that he couldn't, it's that he wouldn't. And so people will look at that passage too and they'll say, see, told you, Jesus is saying that it's about being poor. That's not the idea of this. It's not about the guy's uh, money. It's all about that guy's heart. Who is he going to serve, God or money? And the guy walks away sad. He walks away sad because he can't do it. Then in Luke 19... If you flip over there, Luke 19, Jesus has another interaction with a very similar situation, except it's totally different. Luke 19, there's, there's a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is a really wealthy guy, too. And Jesus is talking to him. And Zacchaeus realizes that Jesus is Lord, that, that he needs to be his master, that he needs to follow him. And so Zacchaeus basically says the opposite of what the young, rich ruler says. And Zacchaeus says, listen, I'm going to voluntarily give all back to the poor. Not only am I going to do that, I'm going to give them four times as much. Whatever I stole from them, I'm going to give them four times the amount. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. You have to understand, salvation did not come because of Zacchaeus's newfound generosity. Rather, this was the generosity was evidence of a man's heart that was truly saved. That's the idea. He says, listen, Zacchaeus realizes that, listen, it's not about money. It's about following the Lord. And I want to use the Lord. I want to use the money I have to serve the Lord. I don't want it to be the opposite. See, there's got to be, before we go into this, there's got to be kind of a rejection of what we want, what our desires are, what our focus is. You may be coming in this morning going, oh, they're talking about finances. They're going to tell me about how much I should give. The Lord doesn't want a dime for you unless until you first first have a transformation of your heart that's the key you know we talk about all the time <laughs> i didn't share this earlier but we talk about all the time that that god owns the cattle on a thousand hills right god owns everything he can use it however we will however he wants well then why in the world if he owns everything then would he need your money he needs your heart first He needs you to follow him and say, you know what, Lord? It's not about how much I have. It's not about how much I can stockpile. It's not about my worries or fears. I'm going to give to you because I know you've given to me. I'm going to give back because I want to follow you. (coughs) The other thing I realized when when I came into this passage this week, and I think I just realized it this week. You know, we read this verse, you can't serve both God and money. And I I guess I never really thought about it. But, you know, we always talk about money serving us, right? That we use money to to buy things, right? It serves a purpose. How could you serve money? Maybe, I started thinking, well, maybe it has to do with, like, buying things that we don't want or or something else. (laughs) Until I realized when I read Romans that we actually can be slaves to money. It's not about buying things. It's about who we owe money to. Romans 13 says this. This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. <coughs> give to everyone you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding. Then in Proverbs 22.7, this is the verse that really hit me. It says, the rich rule over the poor... 
And the borrower is the slave to the lender. Leave that verse up there. The ritual over the poor, the borrower is the slave to lender. You want to know how you serve money? You serve money because of the people that you owe money to. So in other words, God is saying, hey, listen, you've got, to give, you've got to store up treasures in heaven, not here on earth. But how can we do that? How can we give freely and joyfully if we have all this debt that we have in life? If you want to do this, you've got to fix this. You want to have a surgery that's healthy? You've got to fix your lifestyle. Because a servant is a slave to something. We are a slave to something. And that goes back to the very beginning of what I said. People want to give, but they said, I've got all these bills. I've got all this debt going somewhere else. So how do we get out of it? My hope and desire is that we get you to a place where you can have, live free and not have anxiety when it comes to money, that you can have financial peace. In fact, Dave Ramsey does a series on financial peace. We have did this series here this fall. We're going to do it again this January. Some of you need to be in that class, financial peace, because it talks about how to get out of debt, how to get to a point of investing where you can be free with your money and give freely and joyfully back to the Lord. And so I thought, you know what? It wouldn't be wise of us to just kind of leave it here. A lot of us have debt problems. A lot of us have issues. Let me talk about a few tips that Dave Ramsey gives us. The first one he talks about for debt removal, he said the first thing you got to do is you got to save $1,000 as fast as you can. Whatever it is, save $1,000 for emergencies, right? Get that going. Then to get out of debt, he says, the next thing you do is you, you, you do what we call the debt snowball. Let's get rid of the debt. To give you what, a snapshot of what the debt snowball is, here's a short animated film on what uh, the debt snowball is all about. To get out of debt so we can live freely and joyfully. Take a look. Step one is to find $200 in your budget that isn't designated for anything. How will you find $200? That's entirely up to you. Maybe you need to eliminate your cable TV, dining out, or your $4.50 a day morning dose of price gouging, disappointingly tasteless caffeine. Now that you have that, your next step is to list all your debts in increasing order of how much you owe. In this example, we have $450 owed to Lowe's for the new grill that you just had to have. $650 for Target for your shoes, your belt, and your purse, the essential matching set, and your flat screen TV. Then there's a $1,600 you owe to your parents for that time your transmission went out on your sweet vintage 98 Accord, and so on. Make a list of all the debts you have, lowest to highest. The next step is where the snowball starts. We're going to pay the minimum payment on all the debts for now, except the one with the smallest balance. For the Lowe's card, we'll pay the minimum payment of $50 plus the $200 that we found. So guess what? After two months of paying $250, your Lowe's debt is gone. Next, we'll take that $250 you were paying Lowe's and snowball into the minimum payment of your Target card. So now we are paying $280 a month, and after a couple more months, just like magic, your Target card is paid off. You continue this process each time, snowballing your old payments into your new payments like Buddy the Elf. And before long, all your debts are gone. Now, an important thing to note is that during this process, you have to keep the snowball rolling for it to work. The debt snowball is the fastest, most effective way to tackle a lot of debt and pay it off quickly. Using the examples we had, if you were to pay the minimum balance on all the loans you had, it would take you 120 months before the debt was paid. That is 10 years. But if you use the debt snowball, you can have all these debts paid off in just 21 months. That's less than two years. That's 99 more months of freedom. Again, just one aspect of how do we get out of debt. The idea isn't to hoard it. 
Dave would say this too. It's not about hoarding. It's about getting out of debt so that we can give freely and joyfully. The last, uh, the last debt removal device is, talks about the emergency fund, of saving three to six months of living expenses. Why? So that we can get to a point where we can live freely, that we can give freely. Now that class, some of you need to, to be part of that class. Some of you are dealing with all kinds of debt. This was just a snapshot here. You can sign up online for that class starting in January. But the idea is we want you to be able to get out of debt, that lifestyle that you have, so that the surgery that we're going to do, this radical transformation, can actually work. Because we can walk, talk about all day about how much joy there is in giving and about how much God provides for us and things like that. But some of us have so much debt that we've got in life. And this service here is about taking a hard look at our lifestyle. In a few moments, we're going to come to the communion table. and We're going to, we're going to remember what Christ did for us on the cross, right? We remember his body broken, his blood shed for us. But the question here this morning is, where is your heart? Husbands and wives have a tough conversation with each other. Is today is asking each other, "Where's your heart at? Is it with the money or is it with God?" Parents, where would your kids say your money is? God, where your your, your uh, sorry, where where would where would uh, your kids say that your master is with God or with money? When you go through life, what's your vision? Is it about what you don't have or how much you don't have in your bank or what, you don't, what you're not driving? Or is it about how you can use the wealth that God's given you to, to, to give back to him, to, to store up treasures in heaven? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? My hope is that your vision is on the Lord, that your treasure is on the Lord, that your master is on the Lord, following him, knowing that he's going to richly provide for you of everything that you need. Next week when we come, we look at how we spend. And we talk about that faith injection and then how we can do it with joy. Let me pray for us here. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. I thank you that we can talk about this tough subject of money, Lord. Some of us are really struggling with it even now. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to take the steps to get out of the problems that they're in. But Lord, I pray that you help them know that you are the God of all, that you're the owner and the owner of a thousand hills that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and that you can provide for us in all different ways. So, Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to look to you. Help us not be worried, anxieties about what we don't have or how much we do have. Lord, help us to know that everything we have is from you and we can give back to you. Help us to look to you as our master. And Lord, there may be some in here right now who may say, you know what, I don't even care about my debt because I don't really know who the Lord is. If that's you, know that the Lord loves you. He, he died for you on the cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed as we celebrate here this morning. That he died for you because of the sin that we have. So that he can have a relationship with you. That you can be with him in heaven. And so if that's you this morning, you say, you know what? I want that relationship. I want the, the Lord to be the, the center of my life like Zacchaeus. Then it's the simplest praying a prayer. It's about a heart transformation. You say, dear Lord Jesus, I understand I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, I want you to forgive me of my sins. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to make you my master and nothing else. Lord, I pray if some of those prayed that prayer this morning, that they feel your presence and peace. Lord, as we come to your communion table now, Lord, that we celebrate what you did for us on the cross. We thank you. We give you all the praise and glory. We ask all this in your precious name.